I am indeed grateful. So today is a beautiful day. It is Friday. It is Friday and uh, the reason why it is a beautiful day is because we are coming towards a pause of this particular series, The Hardness of Heart. And as we are come to this particular place that we are in, we can testify that there's so much that we have learned, so much that we have profited from in this period of learning. There's so much. And we can be so grateful because of what the Lord has done in our lives through the ministration of his word. We can be grateful ourselves. We can recall as we embarked on this journey and we learned about the hardness of heart in the first day, we focused in the, uh, on Romans chapter 2 verse 5, where the Bible says that through the hardness and impenitence of our hearts, we store up wrath for the day of judgment. And Paul was giving a rebuke to the believers in Rome who were practicing the very things that the heathen were practicing. There were those that had refused to retain the knowledge of God in their hearts, and they chose to worship the created things rather than the creator who is worthy of praise and glory. They chose to approve and celebrate sin and those that did sinful acts. And that day, the word of God corrected us. The word of God corrected us. As a matter of fact, I find it so strange that this particular week, I have come out as a, 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 a bit tough or a bit a bit uh, of a rebuking kind of preacher. Uh, for those who know me in the Fellowship of Flick, I, have, I continually share about Christ and what he means for the believer. I, I don't think I have been in such a place where I have found myself rebuking people, but I'm not, it is not necessarily I, but it is the word of God. And it appears that this subject of the hardness of heart really comes from an angle of rebuke and correction to all of us, even I myself. Thus, I cannot say it is myself, but I can say it is indeed the word of God. And Monday, we had that particular rebuke come forth where we are validating or approving, or rather we are tolerant or and accommodative of those that are practicing sin or those that are in rebellion toward God. And I didn't even think I was getting through to people until people started sharing their testimonies and I was startled. I was like, Lord, do you mean that this, this word cuts so deep that people can relate and people can see themselves in those situations? So we indeed say thank you uh, to the Lord in, because of what he has done and how he has corrected us. And I appreciate all, all of you for the time that you have spent. On Tuesday, we looked at Pharaoh and how Pharaoh 
hardened his heart toward God. And we learned about the story of the children of Israel, and we saw how Pharaoh hardened his heart. Mm. We saw how the statement that stood out for us, who is God that I should obey him? That's one of the statements that stood out. Who is God that I should obey him? And it was so relatable to each and every one of us because there are certain times that we almost get rebellious to and we say, who is the Lord that we should obey him? We may not state it verbatim, but our attitude can almost be saying, who is the Lord that we should obey him? We also saw that the oppressor and the oppressed were both hardened in heart because the children of Israel were a stiff naked people. They had, the, they had an impenitent heart, they were stubborn. And we see how Pharaoh being stubborn, the children of Israel being stubborn still, we saw what the Lord did. And we saw how it paralleled the subject of salvation in the sense that it took the Paschal lamb, it took the Passover lamb and the death of the first one for Pharaoh to choose to release the children of Israel. Beyond that, we, move, uh, we moved farther uh, to now uh, Wednesday, uh, where we were learning also regarding the hardness of heart. And we were looking at the subject of unbelief. The subject of unbelief. And our focus was in the book of Hebrews. And in the book of Hebrews, we saw how the children of Israel hardened their heart, how they would not, how whatever God spoke to them was not mixed with faith. And they hardened their heart towards God and the same, the same, uh, the account of the children of Israel was now being related with our present time. And we, the statement that stood out for us is, today when you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. And one of the scriptures that stood out is the one that says, as long as it is today, warn each other, lest some of you be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Exhort one another while it is still today, lest some of you be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. From there, we, uh, we, we received quite a heavy rebuke in our hearts, especially with our attitudes especially with our attitudes so because our attitudes sometimes are wrong and we handle one another uh, with careless disregard we become sometimes entitled or insensitive towards even the labor of the lord because by the time that we are supposed to be teachers by the time that we are supposed to be serving the lord by the time that we are supposed to be a refreshing to the body of christ and to those that are laboring in our lives we find ourselves still being a burden. We find ourselves still being uh, so needful. And the rebuke was pretty tough, pretty tough with love, but pretty tough, right? Pretty tough. And um, when I was thinking about it, I, I honestly thought it was not necessarily what I intended to speak, but for some reason, 
that is the impression that the Spirit of God put in my heart. And the purpose of it is just for us to really take advantage of all these things that we have learned, that moving forward, our hearts will not be hardened, beloved. Moving forward, our hearts will not be hardened. Then yesterday, we looked at the subject of unbelief from the point of resisting or denying, or better well put, being ignorant of Christ. Christ not being the center. And that was, uh, was also um, an indicator of the hardness of heart. We looked at the disciples who hardened their hearts in the sense that they would not be easily persuaded that Christ was risen. We saw the disciples being stubborn in their hearts that they would not easily be convinced that the Lord had risen. And we saw from the word of God how Jesus rebuked them because so much evidence was presented to them almost on five or six occasions, and yet still they did not believe. And Christ had to literally appear to them, spend time with them, and show them from the word that the things which are taking place are those very things that he had spoken to them before his death. And we saw how Paul was able to teach Jesus from the law of Moses and from the books of the prophets. And one of the questions that we asked ourselves is, how is it that such men were able to preach Christ yet did not even have the revelation of Christ as we see it in the New Testament written in letters? But by the Spirit of God, they were able to see Christ from the Old Testament. They were able to see Christ from the body of scriptures that were present in that time, and they were able to teach Christ. And therefore, we, we see that sometimes our heart is hardened, just like the apostles, who, who, who did, were not persuaded easily about the resurrection of Christ. They were not persuaded easily about the resurrection of Christ and how the prophecies of Isaiah and Jeremiah spoke about the hardened hearts. That hearing will hear, yet we will not be able to hear him. And seeing will see, yet we will not be able to see Christ. Oh my goodness. And so we found the evidence in the context of the Bible. When Paul was preaching, that scripture from Isaiah is quoted. And in other portions that we read where Isaiah is quoted, we see Indeed, the hardness of heart was the inability to see Christ. The hardness of heart was the inability to hear Christ, which translated in what we teach. It translates in what we teach. The fact that you cannot be able to teach Christ, the fact that Christ cannot be the center of your message, the fact that Christ cannot be at the center of your pursuit, the fact that Christ cannot be at the center of your interest as pertains to the kingdom of God. If you are chasing after breakthroughs, if you are chasing after, after the breaking of castes, if you're chasing after uh, generational wealth, if you're chasing after all these things as part of your life of faith, as part of your ministry life, as part of your study, as part of your belief system in Christ, clearly it is 
indicative of a hardened heart. It is indicative of a stubborn heart. And it is not I that affirms these things, but the evidence of the scriptures shows us the state of the heart, that if Christ cannot be the pursuit, there is a problem in our hearts. And then moving from there, we are here today. Hallelujah. Praise be to the Lord. I commend you soldiers of Jesus Christ <laughs> for soldiering on to this very day. Oh, you people are amazing. I appreciate you all. I appreciate you all. Um, I like to play and laugh a lot sometimes when I teach, as we could tell from the, as we could tell from the readings of uh, we learned from uh, uh, First Corinthians the other the other days, the other days we learned before we started this subject of the hardness of heart, but hardness of heart has been hard on us. Hardness of heart has been hard on our hearts. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> ah, joy. <laughs> Uh, hardness of heart has been hard on our hearts. Eh? But we bless the Lord because we know of his love. We have endured, us. sir. <laughs> we have endured. <laughs> we have endured. So today we look at the subject of marriage um, in relation to also the hardness of heart. And I, you remember one of the things I say to you is it's so interesting that in the Bible, the subject of the hardness of heart is so much parallel with the with, with the subject of salvation with the subject of salvation in pharaoh's time it is it is a type and shadow of salvation because we see the passover lamb because we see the passover lamb being offered as a reason for their deliverance and jesus sees the passover lamb so we see a relation to salvation on the second day, when we learned about um, uh, the hardness of heart from, um, where was it? From the book of Hebrews, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, oh, from, sorry, we said from Romans chapter two, verse five. And it was speaking about those who have chosen not to retain God in their hearts. Those who have chosen not to, to, to yield to him. And it is clearly a direct relation to the fact that we have we hear the gospel we have evidence of god but we choose not to obey him we choose not to yield to him and come to christ now again we now read about the hardness of pharaoh's heart and the children of israel in the book of um exodus and we saw the hardness of heart also being in relation to salvation being in relation to salvation and the experience in the wilderness being a correlation with our Christian walk and our ability to believe God. We moved from there, we looked at the book of Hebrews that is very direct. Today, when you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts, tie to salvation. And then yesterday we heard about the preaching of Christ, Christ being the center of the message. And also that relates heavily to salvation. And now today we are here. And isn't it amazing, beloved, that also marriage is in relation also, marriage is in relation. 
to the subject of salvation. Why am I mm -hmm. rhyming today? Why am I rhyming? Cherono, can you hear? I've become uh, uh, those preachers who use the eloquence of speech. <laughs> <laughs> yes. No, no, no. Uh, marriage no, is in relation with salvation. Ah, hey. come hey. on, somebody. <laughs> marriage is in relation Amen. with salvation. Amen. <laughs> Glory to God. Hallelujah. To mm -hmm. God. Hallelujah. <laughs> oh, praise the Lord. <laughs> so, so uh, we don't even need to go far. We don't even need to go far because uh, when we turn to the book of Ephesians, uh, chapter 5, verse 21, it says, uh, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21, I believe it's a scripture that we are all familiar with. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21, and fathers submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. That's how it starts. We're given instructions of how we ought to live. And I just sometimes like reading the Bible in context, because when you read in context, it takes away our interests and makes us see things in a bigger perspective, all right. So, yeah. so, 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 so we can start from 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 the uh, from um, verse one, not with so much pressure, but um, just skim through it. We won't focus so much on the verses that are communicated there, but we will see the context of where it was coming from. Ephesians chapter five. Our focus will be down there in verse twenty-one, but let's start from verse one. Ephesians chapter 5 from verse 1 says, imitate God, therefore, in everything you do, because you are his dear children. All right? And then I will just throw it straight to, your, uh, to our marriages. Imitate God, therefore, in everything you do, because you are his dear children. And if I was like those um, old school Kenyan preachers, uh, please bear with me for those who don't understand Swahili. But what I'm, whatever I'm going to say in Swahili is just a joke. So you're not missing out so much on the word. So imagine I was those old school preachers. So imitate God therefore in everything you do because you are his dear children. Uh-huh. Imitate God therefore in everything you do because you are his dear children. You know, something like that. Yani, we, we can clearly see that in your marriage, you're supposed to imitate God. Yes, when a pigger, you know, those kind of things, yeah? Because if you are beating your wife, if you're beating your spouse, if you're violent, clearly you're not imitating God, right? If you're yeah. selfish, you're not imitating God. If you are earning money and your spouse probably has lost their job and you cannot even take care of their needs, you cannot give them money, you cannot even share whatever you have, you're not imitating God in your marriage, right? So just see how God... God's nature has to translate into your marriage. See how God's nature has to translate in your relationship. And for those who are here and you're not married and you're single and you desire to get married, see it even as pertains to your relationship. See it as pertains to your relationship. Are you imitating God? Are you imitating God? In your dating life, are you 
Are you imitating God? Those are the questions, fundamental questions that we need to pose to ourselves. All right? Then verse 2 says, live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ. He loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice to us, a pleasing aroma to God. The question is, are we leading a life that is filled with love in our marriages, following the example of Christ? Are we leading a life that is filled with love? The way the Bible says that Christ offered himself as a sacrifice for us, a pleasing aroma to God. Are we emulating that by sacrificially loving our spouses, sacrificially loving our spouses? Are we doing that? Verse 3 says, let there be no sexual immorality, impurity, or greed among you. Are we emulating the example of Christ or are we sexually immoral or impure? or greed among you. Let there be no sexual immorality, impurity, or greed among you. Such sins have no place among God's people. But are we practicing these things? Are we practicing sexual immorality? Are we practicing impurity or greed among you? Are we doing these things? And, and, and uh, oh my goodness. The, I mean, uh, the, I sat with some ministers of the gospel and uh, they were sharing with me issues that are happening in marriage. And, you know, I was shocked. Beloved, I was shocked. I must say I was shocked that to this very day, there are believers. I'm not talking about people who don't know God, but even believers in marriages, people who are practicing sexual immorality and impurity, even in their marriages. I'm not just talking about infidelity, but even how we sexually handle our partners. That there are those who, for them, sex has become, sex has become just an end to meet their desire, but not driven by a desire to even please your partner. There are those who, even the manner of things they want to practice in their union, when it comes to sex is borderline perversion. And these are people who are born again. So you can see the Bible is not outlandish or far-fetched in its instructions and directions toward us. These things are happening in our lives and God is rebuking us. God is saying certain things are not even worthy to be mentioned among his believers. That we can be so inflamed with desire that even when your spouse is not in the mood to have sex, you would force yourself on your wife that things like rape exist in marriage. And this happens even with believers, even with believers. This is not God's desire, beloved. This is not God's desire. It is not God's desire. 
So it says, uh, we, we are reading uh, um, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 3. Let there be no sexual immorality or impurity. That should not happen in our marriages. Number four, obscene stories, foolish talk, and coarse jokes. These are not for you. Instead, let there be thankfulness to God. Obscene stories, foolish talk, and coarse jokes. And foolish talking of filthiness or jesting, which are not convenient, existed marriages. How do you talk to your spouse? How do you talk to your beloved? How do you address them? Do we do it in jest? Are we coarse? And so the Apostle Paul continues and says in verse 5, you can be sure that no immoral, impure, greedy person will inherit the kingdom of God or the kingdom of Christ and of God for a greedy person is an idolater worshiping the things of the world. And he continues and says, don't be fooled by those who try to excuse these sins for the anger of God will fall on all who disobey him. Don't participate in the things these people do. For once you were full of darkness, but now you have light from the Lord. So leave as people of the light for the light within you produces only what is good and right and true. For the light within you produces only what is good and right and true. Or if I would render it in the simplest of ways, for the very fact that Christ lives in you and for the very fact that there is the light of God, the knowledge of God within you, the product of your life or what, what should be produced out of your life should only be what is good and right and true. And verse 10 says, carefully determine what pleases the Lord. Are we careful to determine what pleases the Lord in our marriages, beloved? Are we careful to determine what pleases the Lord in our marriage? I don't know if we are careful to determine that or we have no regard whatsoever. That I know whatever I do in my marriage is not pleasing to God, but I still will do it nonetheless. I will do it. Say, is take no part in worthless deeds of evil and darkness, instead expose them. It is shameful even to talk about the things that ungodly people do in, this, in, in secret. But their evil intentions will be exposed when the light shines on them, for the light makes everything visible. This is why it is said, awake, O sleeper, and rise up from the dead, and Christ will give you light. This is, these are believers that the Apostle Paul is addressing, and he's telling them these behaviors should not even be mentioned among you. They should not be mentioned among you. This kind of thing should not be, should not, should not be mentioned among you. Should not be mentioned among you. I remember yesterday I was talking to Pastor Gloria, and I was just relating with her, you know, an incident. I was speaking to a certain individual. Um, I was speaking to a certain individual and I would learn of a believer, a brother in the faith who was in such a toxic 
marriage, there was in such a toxic marriage that at one point the man lost it and beat his wife, beat his wife to the point the wife was hospitalized and the man was jailed. The wife was hospitalized, the man was jailed. These are tongue-talking believers. Ministers of the gospel. Yeah. Right. How does someone's heart get to such a place? <clears throat> How does someone's heart get to such a place? Are we careful to consider? Are we careful to consider that which pleases the Lord? So is Paul crazy? Can the Ephesian church react and say, hey, Pasi, as we like to say, Pasi, Pasi, and Pastor. Ah, these things you're telling us, when it, have you forgotten? We are born again. We are Christians. How can you tell us, don't be sexually immoral and impure? How can you tell us not to have obscene stories, foolish talk, and coarse jokes? Are you not aware that we are saved? How can you tell us about immorality, sexual vice, and all impurity of lustful, rich, wasteful living, or greediness must not even be named among you? Ah, pastor, we are born again. Pastor, we are born again. We speak in tongues, we prophesy. We are servants of the Lord, pastor, surely. Can you tell us this? Why, why are you telling us these things? Well, if Paul wrote it, it is because it was possible for these things to exist in the life of believers. It is possible that these things were existing in the life of believers. Impurity, greed, greed, worshiping the things of this world. They exist. These are believers that he's writing to and he's telling them these things should not even be mentioned among you. He says such scenes have no place among God's people. He says such things have no place among God's people, but yet they are times are present. Their times are present. Then he says, don't be fooled by those who try to excuse their sins. Don't be fooled by those who try to excuse their sins. These sins, those who try to excuse these sins. And you would hear someone tell you, Mimi Bibiangu Hakua, she was not giving me sex. My wife was not um, uh, um, giving me my conjugal rights. So I had to go outside of my marriage. I had to go outside my marriage. So there are people, we excuse, we excuse these things. We try and justify them. We try and say, hey, listen, I had to do it because either way I was not getting it. And I like a certain statement that Bishop JB Masinde once made. He said, have you ever seen anyone hospitalized for lack of sex? An ambulance has been called. A good question. Yeah, an ambulance has been called. It's and the siren is the siren is beaming and wailing on the highway. Where is it rushing to? It's rushing to somewhere. <laughs> 
there's an emergency on Tikaro. What is it? There is a man who has collapsed in his house. Why? He has not had sex for six months. <laughs> Hallelujah. Says oh, that's a joke. Says <laughs> is putting an ambulance emoji. People are funny. For lack of sex, <laughs> an <laughs> you are <laughs> picked up and rushed out for lack a dry spell. What is the condition? You rush to the hospital through the ER emergency uh, on a stretcher. And when the, the nurses come quickly, what happened? Dry spell, dry spell. You know the way they shout in the hospital, code blue, code blue, right? dry spell, dry spell. And you are whisked into the theater quickly. Or into the ICU. <laughs> dry spell is the condition, beloved. So you see how we can try and justify ourselves? Say, uh -uh, because I have not, my needs have not been met even sexually, I had every reason to go outside and sleep with somebody. There's no beautiful word to call it. It's simply called sexual immorality. It's called sexual immorality. Now, I'm not saying that we take lightly the place of sex and sexual intimacy in marriage because it is very critical, it's, it's fundamental. But what I'm saying is there's no justification. Here, the context of what the Bible is addressing is justification. There is no justification. Says verse six, don't be fooled by those who try to excuse these sins for the anger of God will fall on all who disobey him. And we don't want that for anyone. Then he says, do not be partakers with them. Don't participate in the, in the things these people do. Don't participate in the things these people do. Don't participate in the things these people do. Don't, for once you were full of darkness, but now you have the light from the Lord. So leave us the people of light. And I like the better rendering of King James because it's so direct. It says, be not ye there for partakers with them, for ye were sometimes darkness, but now are ye light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. You are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. And then verse 9 says, for this light within you produces only what is good and right and true. Carefully determine what pleases the Lord. Then he says in verse 11, take no part in the worthless deeds of evil and darkness, instead expose them. Take no part in the worthless deeds of evil and darkness, instead expose them. Take no part in the worthless deeds of evil and darkness, instead expose them. It is shameful even to talk about the things that ungodly people do in secret, but their evil intentions will be exposed when the light shines on them the light makes everything visible. That is why it is said, awake or sleeper and rise up from the dead and Christ will give you light. Paul says it is shameful even to talk about the things the ungodly people do in secret. It is shameful to even talk about the things that ungodly people do in secret. But sometimes it might even be shameful to talk about the things that believers do. in secret it is shameful you know um 
I share this thing sometimes and I, I, I usually find it very light to laugh about these things because for those who, for, for those who know me and Lynette, we are very playful and very funny people, me and my wife, we are very playful and funny people. And by having that kind of attitude and personality, we get to, we get an exposure because we don't come off as these heavyweight men of God. That's the thing about us. We don't come out as these heavy men of God. You know, we don't have those garments. You know, we, we don't have the collars. We don't come out as that. We come out as just some easy, easygoing people. And by that, we always get a share of certain things that are very fun in life. So let me give you guys an example. I was talking with Pastor Gloria and Pastor Dorothy. And somebody who is born again shares with me and tells me, hey, pastor. No, he, he doesn't even say pastor. He say, hey, bro, how are you, man? Uh, it's, uh, it's still your birthday month, man. Happy birthday. I'm just chilling. Then he sends me a video of him with somebody smoking shisha. The person shared a video with him with somebody smoking shisha. <laughs> and <laughs> you see when Paul is saying certain things will not be mentioned among you. These are things happening even with believers. So I laughed because the guy who was smoking shisha is serving in protocol in a church I know somewhere. <laughs> you know those protocol guys who wear good suits and they're always there running up and down following the men of God. The guy was having his good puffs of shisha, proper ones. And I, I, I looked at that and I was laughing when I was even uh, talking to Pastor Gloria, I was laughing. But I knew, okay, this is a good opportunity to minister to this person because honestly, he's at least they're that sincere. They're able to share that. <laughs> they are sincere. Other than hiding, I, I bless God that they're sincere enough to share. And so it, is, it might seem outlandish when Paul is saying these things, but actually they happen among his believers. So in verse 15, as we continue, he says, so be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but like those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. Don't be drunk with wine because it will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. And this is where I usually now have also a certain level of concern for believers. It says, don't be drunk with wine where in is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. And people argue, you know what, I can be, I can be born again and I can drink as much as I want. I can drink, I can drink. And I usually say, I usually say the fact that you can drink and the fact that you can even see the reason to justify it. It's only a matter of time. And you will see the impact of that behavior. You will see the impact of that behavior. You will see the impact of that behavior. I always, anytime I speak with somebody who justifies drinking, I always tell them, beloved, drinking comes with its share of problems. So why give the devil opportunity? Because we are not ignorant of his devices. He's a schemer. Do you know what a schemer is? He plots. He plots. 
you just start get involved in drinking and before you know it another thing that will follow i can almost assure you that follows sexual immorality follows after and then you hear somebody said i just had a drink and i didn't think i lost it i don't know what happened i don't know what happened Pastor Gloria, have you heard that statement before? I don't know what happened. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know what happened. I don't know what I don't. I just don't know what happened. And you see people messing up. You see people making mistakes. Why would Paul talk to believers about drinking? Let me ask you. The Ephesian church were they believers? Was Paul writing to believers? They were believers. So why would Paul talk to them about yes. drinking? Yeah. You ask yourself, why would Paul talk to them about drinking? Because it was there. Among them. Because it, yeah, because it was there. Yeah, Beatrice Mutudi says, I don't know what got over me. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what got over me. So why would Paul talk all these things? Because they were there. Now, you guys might be wondering, why am I sharing all these things? I thought we were going to be talking about marriage. Okay, let's move a few verses down. Don't be drunk with wine because that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs among yourselves and making music to the Lord in your hearts and give thanks for everything to God, the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 21, and Father submit one another out of reverence for Christ. And fathers submit one another, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And fathers submit one to another out of reverence for Christ. For wives, this means submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For a husband is the head of his wife as Christ is the head of the church. He is the savior of his body, the church. As the church submits to Christ, so you wives should submit to your husbands in everything. For husbands, this means you love your wives. Just as Christ loved the church, he gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. He did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she will be holy and without fault. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies. For a man who loves his wife actually shows love for himself. No one hates his own body, but feeds and cares for it. Just as Christ cares for the church and we are members of his body. As the scriptures say, a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. This is a great mystery, but it is an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. So again, I say, each man must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. You've heard that? Have you heard that? 
what is the illustration of marriage? What is marriage illustrating rather? Christ and the church. Christ and the church. church. That's why I keep saying the hardness of heart is parallel with salvation. Mm. Christ and the church. So how can you be an illustration of Christ and the church when your marriage is filled with all manner of curse words? Your marriage is filled with all manner of curse words, curse words that even we hear and we say, my goodness, even the movies we watch don't have that kind of content. My goodness. Vulgar marriages, we open our mouths and my goodness, the things we say about our spouses or we say to our spouses, they are ridiculous. They are ridiculous. An illustration of Christ and the church when there is so much infidelity in a marriage. How can, how can that be illustrative of Christ and the church when there's all kind of impurity in a marriage? When there's abuse in a marriage, how can that be an illustration of Christ and the church? How, how is it possible when none amongst the spouses can be submitted to the other? It's my way or the highway. Mm? It's my way or the highway. Mm? Huh? You, you, you get angry and you say, you know what, it's my way or the highway. Eh? You say, you, my husband, hmm? you cannot treat me like a rat on the highway. Hmm? Like a rat. I don't, know if, I don't know if anyone gets that joke. Huh? You cannot treat me like a rat on the highway. Huh? I don't know. Do you get what I'm saying? <laughs> Do you, I don't know if you, how can we be demonstrating Christ in the church? And if you look at a marriage, you're like, wait, 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 wait. There's no God in that home. There's no peace, chaos. World War One, World War Two, World War Three. in that marriage. In that marriage, it is war. Trouble upon trouble upon trouble. And that is why I would always tell you, as long as it is within my power, I would tell you, I would tell you, and I would tell you this again. The Bible says it is a an illustration of Christ and the church. The church here in, con in, in, in our understanding is people who are filled by the spirit, born again. Not the church and the not Christ and the world, Christ and the church. Uh, 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 let that sink. Not Christ and the world. And the Christ world, and amen. The church. And the church. That means that means you cannot be, you cannot justify getting married to an unbeliever. It it Mm. You can never justify getting, you are born again, you can never justify getting married to a, an unbeliever. There is no 
basis. The Bible says the illustration is Christ and the church, not Christ and the world. Not Christ and the world, Christ and the church. So and one of the th concepts of Bible interpretation that we always have to apply is when we see an illustration, we also have to pay attention to, this, to the description of the character. For example, when the Bible says there was a wicked judge who did not fear God, that can never be God if you read that in a parable. It can never be God because God is not a wicked judge. Are we together? So even in this parallel here, if it is an illustration of Christ and the church, your unmarried husband can never be Christ. And your unmarried wife can never be the church. I don't know why this hardness of heart has so much rebuke. This sermon, my goodness. Umejaribu, <laughs> man of God. I am trying to be as sweet. Pastor Gloria, I'm trying to be as sweet as possible. The Bible is clear. The illust Listen, your unmarried husband can never be the example of Christ. Now, I am not bashing. Listen, please, we are people who read the Bible in context. So we understand there are situations where you got married when you were not born again. And the Bible even talks about the, the unbelieving husband being won over by the chaste behavior of the, of the wife. Fine, I'm not talking about those contexts where you guys got married when you were not born again. I don't have a problem with that. I'm talking about when you are born again, when you are born again and you want to be married, you can never justify getting married to an unbeliever. It is not me, it's the scripture. If the illustration is Christ and the church, therefore, if you are born again as a brother and you want to marry an unbeliever who is a woman, she can never be a demonstration of the church. And in the same light, it can never be that when you're getting married to an, an unbelieving husband, uh, and you're born again, you can justify that and say he's a relation of Christ. It can never be. It has wow, to be clear with the word of amen. God. Are we together? Yes, sir. It can never be. It has to be Christ and the church. That is the example. Yes, they can get born again along the way. They can get born again along the way. But that story of I will change him, you know, it doesn't work. So it is wiser. Mm. It is wiser and it is safer. It is the wisdom that is given from the scripture through this illustration that you get married to a believer. So you pursue an unbeliever, Kikiumana, my goodness. You come back to Pastor Gloria. I don't know what came over me. Are we together? When things go hard, I don't know what came over me. I am simply trying to paint the context here. I am trying to paint the context. I, I, I'm not saying that the people cannot get born again. I'm not saying that you can get married to, uh, uh, that you can, you, you probably even were not born again by the time you got married. I'm not talking about that. I am really, really trying to be as broad as possible so that I cannot be misquoted or someone cannot feel like I am attacking their marriage. Please understand me. Are we together? I am speaking this with utmost sincerity. The parallel that is given there is Christ and the church. So it can never be that when you are getting married to an unbelieving husband, you're, you're trying to say that this is illustrative of Christ and the church because it cannot be.
but I know God is able to save. And that's the beautiful thing about our God. God is able to save. I, I, I don't deny that. But sometimes the hardness of our hearts makes us pursue things when we know very well they're not okay. Number two, it cannot be a married man. Christ cannot be demonstrated. It cannot be another married man. It cannot be another married man. The audacity of believers, Akadesh Prekeleka. One day, a lady came to see us. A lady came to see us, and she was dating a married man. And she told us, that man, he's having troubles with his wife. We are even looking forward to their divorce so that he can now come and marry me. Someone had the guts to say, he's a married man, but they're having trouble. Oh, his wife is bad to him. His wife is doing this to him. And he's just really working hard on his divorce. So once they get divorced, now we can be married. Of course, we had to tell the person the truth and we lost them. We lost Amshirika. We lost a member by having to tell them the truth. <laughs> Amen. Mm. Wow. You could mm. see offering going, offering, offering. There you are going, offering, offering. <laughs> hey, come back, come back, come back. Let them just go. <laughs> are we together? So we have to look at the scripture and, and understand what it says, beloved. We have to look at what the word of God says. We cannot give up you see we we, we we try to justify some of these things in our minds but and that's why when now you're taken through the academy of character development hey you come back and you say pastor 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 that man oh he is the devil he is the devil and we'll <laughs> and now pastor gloria will look at you and tell you but i told you I told you, but I told you. So the Bible is very clear in its instruction. And that's why I love this particular parallel. The Bible says in verse 32 of Ephesians chapter five, this is a great mystery, but it is an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. It is an illustration of the way the Christ and the church are one. This is a great ministry, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. I speak concerning Christ and the church. I speak concerning Christ and the church. Christ and the church. It is a great mystery, but it's an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. So there's no justification or any defense of us justifying getting married to a married man or marrying a married woman or being in a relationship with them with the intention of getting married. You cannot come and justify that. You can't come and justify that. And secondly, you can be a believer, but you're busy chasing after an unbelieving man. Chasing after an unbelieving man. You, you, you might as well not be, you cannot justify that because it is not the illustration that the Bible is giving. It is not the because, illustration of the Bible. Pastor Charlo, yes. because 
saved men are boring. Yes. Saved men are very boring. So we have to chase after the unbelievers that are a bit fun. All yeah. they do is word, 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 the Bible. Ah, it's too much. Let's be real. <laughs> I married a saved man. Good. <laughs> Even does, you receive a, a lot of Bible scriptures. <laughs> <laughs> Are we together? In First Corinthians chapter seven, verse First Corinthians chapter seven, verse ten, Paul says, "But for, but for those who are married, I have a command that comes from me, but I have a command that comes not from me, but from the Lord. Our wife must not leave her husband, but if she does leave him and remain, let her remain single or be reconciled to him, and the husband must not must not leave his wife." Um. Now I speak to the rest of you, though I have not a direct command from the Lord. If a fellow believer has a wife who is not a believer, if a fellow believer has a wife who is not a believer and she is willing to continue living with him, he must not leave her. If a fellow believer has a wife who is not a believer and she is willing to continue living with him, he must not leave her. And if a believing woman has a husband who is not a believer, and he's willing to continue living with her, she must not leave him. For the believing wife brings holiness to her marriage, and the believing husband brings holiness to his marriage. Otherwise, your children will not be holy, but now they are holy. But if the husband or wife who, but if the husband or wife who is, isn't a believer insists on leaving, let them go. In such cases, the believing husband or wife is no longer bound to the other. For God has called you to live in peace. Don't you wives realize that your husbands might be saved because of you? And don't you husbands realize that your wives might, might be saved because of you? Each of you should continue to live in whatever situation the Lord has placed you and remain as you were when God first called you. This is my rule for all the churches. Are we together? So you can see what Paul is trying to say there. In the event that you now God has called you as a, uh, and you have gotten born again, all right? But your spouse is not born again. As long as he's willing to live with you, you can continue there. But in no way did Paul ever justify you pursuing after someone who's not born again. And as you had um, People saying there, you know, uh, we had Lynette mentioning it, Dorothy, they are boring, they are boring, they are boring. You know, when we went to Eternal Church, Ledek Church, Life Eternal Development Church with Pastor Gloria and Pastor Dorothy for that marriage uh, seminar. One of the questions that was asked from the crowd is what are the qualities that you look for in a spouse? And the first thing I said, born again. Born again and character. Then we asked, what are some of the most important things you can do while you're dating? I said Bible study. Eucharist, man of God. Yes, Bible study. Am I serious? Am I, am I ridiculous when I say these things? It is because after experience and after the things we have seen, my goodness, my goodness, my goodness, let me tell you, I know of a lady who said to her husband, 
please don't become a pastor. We didn't sign, we didn't sign up on this thing while we were getting married. A lady told her husband, do not become a pastor. We did not agree on this one when we got married. Because me, my plan was our weekends, we will not be in church. We will be going to Vasha. We will be going to Vasha. If the heart cannot be yielded to Christ, that marriage, beloved, might face some serious challenges. And as, as, as I always say, there's no winning in divorce. Whether the husband was bad and it, it made sense to leave. It made sense to leave because the person was abusive. And it had actually made sense to leave. Even when you leave an abusive marriage, you always know if someone has left an abusive marriage, it's not that they are now all of a sudden so joyous and happy because it still hurts because nobody wanted a failed marriage. Nobody gets married with the intention of having it fail. Nobody gets married with the intention of having a divorce or separating. Now, if we were to look at the scriptures that Jesus spoke about, the hardness of heart in relation to marriage, we will look at the book of Matthew, chapter 19. Matthew, chapter 19, from verse 1, it says, When Jesus had finished saying these things, he left Galilee and went down to the region of Judea, east of Jordan River. Large crowds followed him there, and he healed their sick. Some Pharisees came and tried to trap him with this question. Should a man be allowed to divorce his wife for just any reason? Should a man be allowed to divorce his wife for just any reason? Or rather, the Pharisees also came unto him, tempting him and saying unto him, is it lawful for a man to put away his wife for every cause? Then Jesus said, haven't you read the scriptures? Jesus replied, they record that from the beginning, God made them male and female. And that is referencing Genesis 1.27 and Genesis 5.2. They record from beginning that God made them male and female. And he said, this explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife and the two are united into one. Since they are no longer two but one, let no one split apart what God has joined together. Since they are no longer two, but are one, let no one split apart what God has joined together. Let no one split apart what God has joined together. Let no one split apart what God has joined together. Oh, this verse is old fashioned. Is it ever quoted anymore? Why are we dating married people? Let no one split apart what God has joined together. Then why did Moses say in the law, that a man could give his wife a written notice of divorce and send her away, they asked. And that is, they're quoting Deuteronomy 24, verse 1. Then why did Moses say in the law that a man could give his wife a written notice of divorce and send her away? 
They asked, Jesus replied, Moses permitted divorce only as a concession to your hard hearts. So divorce came to existence because of hardened hearts. Jesus replied, Moses permitted divorce only as a concession to your hard hearts, but it was not what God had originally intended. And I tell you this, whoever divorces his wife and marries someone else commits adultery unless his wife has been unfaithful or he saith unto them, Moses, because of the hardness of your heart, suffered you to put away your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so. But from the beginning, it was not so. But from the beginning, it was not so. Jesus replied to his disciples. Jesus' disciples then say to him, if this is the case, it is better not to marry. It is better not to marry. Not everyone can accept this statement, Jesus said. Only those whom God helps, some are born as eunuchs, some have been made eunuchs by others, and some choose not to marry for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Let anyone accept this who can. One day some parents brought their children to Jesus. Okay, so yeah, it continues there. But not everyone can stay single. Uh, Jesus explains it. Not everyone can stay single. But divorce came to being because of the hardness of heart. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 19, verse 8, Moses permitted divorce only as a concession to your hard hearts, but it was not what God had originally intended. This is not what God intended. It, Moses had to permit it because of the hardness of heart. Why? Because he was dealing with a stiff, naked people. He was dealing with a stiff, naked people. And I don't know why when I say stiff, naked people, I remember a certain Bob Marley song. Get out of my mind, yeah? Stiff, naked people. He was dealing with a stiff, naked people. They were stiff, naked. And so because of the hardness of their hearts, Moses said, you know what? Ah, fine, fine. You can divorce her. But in the beginning, it was not so. God never intended divorce to happen. Because even with our salvation and the illustration of Christ in the church, he is faithful to the very end and he will never turn anyone away. The Bible even says even when we are faithless, he remains faithful. He remains faithful. He's able to save to the uttermost. He never gives up on us. He will be with us to the very end. He is faithful. So if that is the illustration, then God never intended for divorce to happen. It was never God's intent that we should experience divorce in the body of Christ. Divorce is ugly. It brings so much pain to children, so much pain to the two people who are divorcing. It breaks families apart. It makes things very difficult. I can imagine two families have been brought together. And now when you're separated, you'll have an awkward relationship, even with your father-in-law, mother-in-law, and all those things. It's just ugly. It's not God's intention. But the reason for divorce is the hardness of heart. 
Further to that, we look at the book of Mark chapter 10. It's another account of the same subject. Then Jesus left Capernaum and went down to the region of Judea and into the area east of Jordan River. Once again, crowds gathered around him and as usual, he was teaching them. And some Pharisees came and tried to trap him with this question, should a man be allowed to divorce his wife? And Jesus answered with a question, what did Moses say in the law about divorce? Well, he permitted it, they replied. He said a man can give his wife a written notice of divorce and send her away. A man can give his wife a written notice of divorce and send her away. But Jesus responded, he wrote this commandment only as a concession to your hard hearts or rather for the hardness of your heart, he wrote the precept. He wrote you this precept for the hardness of your heart because of the hardness of your heart is the reason why he allowed divorce. But Jesus responded, he wrote this commandment only as a concession to your hard hearts. But God made the male and female from the beginning of creation. This explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife. And the two are united into one. Since they are no longer two but one, let no one split apart what God has joined together. They are one body, one flesh. Just like we and Christ are one body, the husband and the wife, they are but one flesh. They are but one flesh. They are but one flesh. And that is why when we read in the Bible, the Bible talks about Christ being the head and we are one body with him. The Bible talks about the coexistence of the body, that the ear cannot say to the mouth, you're, you're useless, and the mouth cannot say to the tongue, you're useless, and the, and the eyes cannot say to the knees and all that. Remember that context the Bible was trying to paint about how the body should work together and that the body is nourished by that which every joint supplies. In the same way, when two people who are one body are fighting each other, the body cannot function. The body cannot function because you're supposed to be one flesh bound together by love. Bound together by love. And so the Bible says you leave your father and mother's house. You leave your home you leave your culture, you leave your traditions and you become joined together with another person. You cannot impose your father and mother's household in your house. You left it. You left it, you cannot impose that. Well, you may have learned good things, you can bring them into your marriage. You have learned to cook in your parents' house. You have learned to be responsible in your parents house but when the two of you come together it is your household and it is expected of you to run it in reverence to god because it is a demonstration or illustration of christ and the church so why why did the hardness of heart exist it existed because divorce rather came into being because of the hardness of heart so when you see two people separating, when you see two people uh, falling apart, it is because of the hardness of heart. 
it is because of the hardness of heart. It is because of the hardness of heart. Think about it. Any divorce, any divorce that ever happens, it is because of the hardness of heart. And so as we have studied this whole week, as we have studied this whole week, beloved, as we have studied about the different things, of, uh, of the different subjects of the hardness of heart, we can clearly see how it comes and affects the union of marriage. The Bible says from the beginning it was not, so this was never God's intent. It was never God's intent. Now, we also have to understand we also have to understand something very fundamental, beloved. First Timothy chapter four says, now the spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. My goodness, what, what statements, they're pretty heavy. It says now the Holy Spirit tells us clearly that in the last time some will turn away from the true faith and they will follow deceptive spirits and teachings that come from demons. These people are hypocrites and liars and their consciences are dead. They will say it is wrong to be married and wrong to eat certain foods. But God created those foods to be eaten with thanks by faithful people who know the truth. Since God created, since God, everything God created is good, we should not reject any of it, but receive it with thanks, for we know it is made acceptable by the word of God and prayer. Now listen to that statement. It says, now the Holy Spirit tells us clearly that in the last time some will turn away from the true faith and they will follow deceptive spirits and teachings that come from demons. That they will follow deceptive spirits and teachings that come from demons. They will follow deceptive spirits and teachings that come from demons. And these people are hypocrites and liars and their consciences are dead. Forbidding marriage, forbidding marriage, they say it will be, they will say it is wrong to be married. Can't you see that Satan, even in these last days, is working against marriages? He's working against marriages. It is the Bible that says that that these doctrines of devils and deceptive teachings will be against marriage. They will be against marriage. And you see people joining cults and leaving their husbands and their wives. You see women getting connected to a prophetess, Kadesh Kadesh, and all of a sudden now you destroy your marriage because you go home, prophetess said, prophetess said, prophetess said, prophetess said, and we have seen people even turned away from their loved ones because of these wrong teachings. So the enemy is against marriages. 
Satan is against marriages. Why? Why am I saying this? Because he's anti-Christ. 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 The spirit of the Antichrist is already in the world. The spirit of the Antichrist. What is marriage? Marriage is Christ-like. Marriage is Christ-like. Marriage is Christ-like. It is an illustration of Christ and the church. Christ and the church. Marriage is an illustration of the Christ of Christ and the church. Marriage is Christ-like. Satan is Antichrist. The spirit of the Antichrist is the spirit that is against Christ. It is against marriage. So let no one lie to you that by any means necessary, the spirit that is working in the world is for marriages. That is why they would even go farther and alter what the scripture says in regards to the man, male and female. It's now no longer male and female. It's all kinds of gender pronouns. So this wrong doctrines, this seducing spirits, this lying teachings and all this fake um, uh, uh, um, teachings, what is one of the things they attack? They attack marriage. They forbid marriage. They say it is wrong to marry. They are against marriage. That in the last days, the spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times, some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies in hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry, and commanding to abstain from meats which God hath created to be received with thanksgiving of them which believe and know the truth. That there is a spirit working, false teaching, the seducing spirits that are working against marriages. They are working against marriages. They are working against marriages. And boy, oh boy, do we know what this has done to people. Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4 says from verse 17. With the Lord's authority, I say this, live no longer as the Gentiles do, for they are hopelessly confused. Their minds are full of darkness and they wander far from the life of the life God gives because they have closed their minds and hardened their hearts against him. They have closed their minds and they have hardened their hearts against him. With the Lord's authority, I say this, live no longer as the Gentiles do, for they are hopelessly confused. Their minds are full of darkness. They wander far from the life God gives because they have closed their minds and hardened their hearts against him. They have no sense of shame. They live for lustful pleasure and eagerly practice every kind of impurity. Back to the same question I posed earlier. Why would Paul say these things to believers? Because there was a possibility that believers were living as other Gentiles did. As other Gentiles did. He says with the Lord's authority, I say this, live no longer as other Gentiles do. And I like the King James because of that particular clarification. It says, 
walk not as other Gentiles walk, other, other Gentiles, not all Gentiles, other Gentiles, not all Gentiles, but other Gentiles, other Gentiles. He says with the Lord's, uh, he says, this I, this I say therefore, and testify in the Lord that he henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their mind. So in the NLT it says, with the Lord's authority, I say this, live no longer as the other Gentiles do, for they are hopelessly confused. Their minds are full of darkness. They wander far from the life God gives because they have closed their minds and hardened their hearts against him. We walk away from the life God gives. We walk away from the abundant life that Jesus gives. We walk away from it and we close our minds and harden our hearts against God. They have no sense of shame. They live for lustful pleasure and eagerly practice every kind of impurity. The moment that you close your mind towards God and you harden your heart towards him and you walk away from the life that God has given you, then you will have an impenitent heart, no sense of shame. You will live for lustful pleasure and you will eagerly practice every kind of impurity. And this is says to believers. So it is possible that when we harden our hearts and we close our minds toward God, we can have no sense of shame and we can live for lustful pleasure and eagerly practice every kind of impurity. And that is why you will see people justifying infidelity. You will see people justifying a life that is contrary to the scriptures. They will justify why they did certain things that are contrary to the what to, to what the spirit of God works inside of us are contrary to the good pleasure of God. And yet we will try and justify them because we have hardened our hearts. It is possible that believers can harden their hearts. It is possible that believers can harden their hearts toward God. We can harden our hearts. So what, what happens? We have now an impenitent heart. We cannot be persuaded otherwise. Okay, let us read the wisdom that is devilish. In the book of James, chapter 3, and I like the context. It starts with the tongue. It says, dear brothers and sisters, not many of you should become teachers in the church. For we who teach will be judged more strictly. Indeed, we all make many mistakes. For if we could control our tongues, we would be perfect and control and also control ourselves in every way. We can make a large hole, we can make a large horse go wherever we want by means of a small bit in its mouth. And a small rudder makes a huge sheep turn wherever the pilot chooses to go. Even though the winds um, Cherono, can I just request you to read James chapter 3 all the way down to the whole chapter, James chapter 3. James chapter 3. Which version? NLT? NLT is fine. All right. James chapter 3 says, Dear brothers and sisters, not many of you should become teachers not many of you should become teachers in the church, for we who teach will be judged more strictly. Indeed, we all make many mistakes, for if we could control our tongues, we could be perfect and could also control ourselves in every other way. We can make a large horse go wherever we want by means of a small bit in its mouth, and a small rudder makes a huge ship turn whenever the pilot chooses to go, wherever the pilot chooses to go, even though the winds are strong. In the same way, 
the tongue is a small thing that makes grand speeches, but a tiny spark can set a great forest on fire. And among all the parts of the body, the tongue is a flame of fire. It is a whole world of wickedness, corrupting your entire body. It can set your whole life on fire for it is, sent, it is set on fire by hell itself. People can tame all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and fish, but no one can tame the tongue. It is restless and evil, full of deadly poison. Sometimes it praises our Lord and Father, and sometimes it curses those who have been made in the image of God. And so blessing and cursing, some pouring out of the same, so blessing and cursing come pouring out of the same mouth. Surely, my brothers and sisters, this is not right. Does a spring of water bubble out with both fresh water and bitter water? Does a fig tree produce olives or a grapevine produce figs? No, and you can't draw fresh water from a salty spring. If you are wise and understand God's ways, prove it by living an honorable life, by doing good works with the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you are bitterly jealous and there's selfish ambition in your heart, don't cover up the truth with boasting and lying. For jealousy and selfishness are not God's kind of wisdom. Such things are earthly and spiritual and demonic. For wherever there is jealousy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder and evil of every kind. But the wisdom from above is first of all pure. It is also peace-loving, gentle at all times, and willing to yield to others. It is full of mercy and the fruit of good deeds. It shows no favoritism and is always sincere. And those who are peacemakers will plant seeds of peace and reap a harvest of righteousness. Amen. 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 So we see the context here in the book of James chapter three, starting from um, addressing the issue of the tongue and the issue of speech. And then now it moves farther to the issue of wisdom. And it says, um, the wisdom from above, the wisdom from above. And then he talks about a devilish kind of wisdom. So this is how, okay, can I say it this way? This is how we know when devilish wisdom is in operation. How, how do we know? The Bible says, but if you have bitter envying and strife in your hearts, when there is envy and strife, do not rejoice or glory not and lie not against the truth. This wisdom descendeth not from above, but is earthly, sensual, and devilish. For where envying and strife is, there is confusion and, and, and every evil work. Or rather, for wherever there is, but if you are bitterly jealous and there is selfish ambition in your heart, don't cover up the truth with boasting and lying. For jealousy and selfishness are not God's kind of wisdom. Jealousy and selfishness are not God's kind of wisdom. Such things are earthly and spiritual and demonic. For wherever there is jealousy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder and every evil kind. Disorder and in the evil of every kind. For there is jealousy and selfish ambition. And we see this in homes. We see this in marriages. There is selfishness. There is selfish ambition. And there is jealousy. Spouses compete against each other. 
they try to prove that they are better than each other. They don't understand the principle that we learned from the previous verses that spoke about submitting one to another. When we read in Ephesians chapter five, there's bitterness, bitterly jealous, and there's selfishness. When there's bitterness, then these things are present and strife in marriages. But then the Bible says, but the wisdom from above is first of all pure. It is also peace loving and gentle at all times. The question we need to ask ourselves is, are we operating with a godly kind of wisdom? Are we operating with the wisdom that is from above? Are we exercising purity? Are we exercising purity? Is, it is also peace loving. Are we peace loving in our marriages? Are we after peace in our marriages? Or are you always plotting for war? Are you always plotting for a fight? Are you always uh, braving for a fight? Every now and then you want to fight with your spouse. You're calculating when you get home, you're looking forward for a fight. You're looking forward for an exchange, for an exchange. Are we always gentle at all times or do we handle our spouses roughly? Are we some ruffians? Are we, are we just rough? and how we handle our beloved. Or are we gentle with our spouses? Are we gentle with them? Or are we, are we, are we rough with them? Then it says, and then it is willing to yield to others. It is intreatable, it is intreatable. You are willing to yield. You are willing to yield. You are willing to yield. I wish I would say even this one in Kiswahili. I don't know how I, how I would say it in Swahili. But it says, you are, it is willing to yield to reason. That you are willing to reason. You are willing to reason. You are willing to yield to reason. Like you are willing to yield. To yield, to listen. You can be entreated. You can be persuaded. You can be convinced, you can be, how can we even put this? You can be spoken to, like you can listen. You can listen. That's one of the things that is so important about the wisdom that's from above, that you can actually listen. You can be told. And you see how jumpy sometimes people get, how destabilized people get that they would not yield, they would not listen, they would not be convinced, they would not be persuaded regardless. You cannot listen. You cannot be told. Cherono, thank you. You're saying in Swahili, lakini hekima itokayo juu binguni kwanza ni safi. Inapenda amani, upole, na huwajali watu. Imejia huruma na huza matunda ya matendo mema. Haina ubaguzi wala unafiki Wadilifu ni mazao ya mbegu ambazo wapenda, amani hupanda katika amani. Wow, I don't know what to say there. Yeah, so you are willing to be persuaded. You can listen, beloved. You can listen. Are you, are you, are you able to listen? Like, are you able to listen? Are you able to listen to your pastor when they are advising you with the words of truth and the counsel of the scriptures? Are you able to listen to your spouse? Are you guys able to reason together? Are you able to sit down and reason together? Or you are just so difficult, you cannot be persuaded. 
teachable Beatrice Mutuli says ni kama kunyenyekea yes are you that way are you operating by that wisdom that's from above or is your heart so hardened that you cannot be told you cannot be told by anyone yeah. how kusikiliza wengine mhm ilio tayari kusikiliza wengine kwa unyenyekevu yeah i found another yes. version yes or in our day to day language because unaweza kuwa mpole that's what the bible describes as the wisdom that's from above that it is first of all pure it is also peace loving it is gentle at all times and it is willing to yield to others it is full of mercy and the fruit of good deeds it shows no favoritism and is always sincere are you always sincere are you showing favoritism and those who are peacemakers will plant seeds of peace and reap a harvest of righteousness the question is what seeds are you planting in your marriage and those who are peacemakers will plant seeds of peace and they will reap a harvest of righteousness the question is what seeds are you planting in your marriage what seeds are we planting in our homes what is the state of our hearts are we so hardened that we would not be persuaded whatsoever we would not listen to anybody we will not yield to anyone we will not be convinced what is the state of our hearts have we become so hardened that when we open our mouth my goodness we are planting seeds of war seeds of corruption seeds that will just have a harvest of bitterness anger seeds that will have a, a, a harvest of a broken home the scriptures are correcting us today the scriptures are correcting us today and we ought to pay attention to what the word of god is saying to us we ought to pay attention so i shared with in the whatsapp groups yesterday an article that was done um, in the month of june regarding single parent households in kenya and uh, the the writer of that particular article it was written um, on the nation on the nation newspaper uh, also had some references to a certain research that was done by a uh, certain um, professionals or were they doctors or psychologists or doctors about single mother households and single parenting households in africa and i don't know how many of you were able to read that particular article that i shared how many of you were able to read that particular article did anyone read that particular article that i shared in the groups um i shared it i think i shared it in dignified i don't know if i shared it in um the friends of sob um, i'm sorry i didn't share it to the other groups so no problem but i so I, i was just sharing it as a uh just beforehand uh, today but i remember i, I know nduta read and um nduta was able to look at that particular article i saw her commenting about it 
And the article read, gender wars and how single parenting is changing the face of the family. Gender wars and how single parenting is changing the face of the family. And it said, when children are raised by a single father or mother, they grow up with a social and psych they grow up with social and psychological inhibitions that affect their worldviews according to research. They, they grow up inhibited, social and psychological inhibitions that affect their worldviews according to research. And um, there were certain points that stood out in this article as, uh, as, we, as, as I was reading it, I was, I was startled because even our president highlighted the issue uh, during his speech on uh, Madaraka Day, and he was pointing out about Kenya's social dysfunction that has been brewing silently in recent years, but which now threatens to get out of hand. And the social dysfunction reference here is based on the textbook definition of a family, which as young children in school, we are taught even today that a family includes a mother, father, and children. But the president had received data and he would see that there were issues that were now affecting society. And he said, if these issues are unchecked, he said, if unchecked, this trend could destroy the fundamental character of Kenya. And wreck untold harm onto our most vulnerable and precious members, our children. And the president urged even media houses and religious leaders and community elders and the concerned government agencies to step up to the plate and make sure that Kenyan family, that the Kenyan family remains strong and a respected institution that it has historically been. that the family should remain strong as it has historically been. And he talked about certain statistics about the family and it said from 25% households headed by a single parent in 2009, the number has shot to a staggering four out of every 10 families, four out of every 10 households in Kenya, 40% are single parent households. And the situation could even be worse because one of the family lawyers uh, said that government figure is a conservative estimate, it is just conservative. But that the number could be as high as seven out of 10 households, 70%. It could be as high as 70% because people who are married does not mean they are necessarily raising their children as a couple. There's a lot of single parenting happening in Kenya right now, covert single parenting. And there are certain issues that are fueling these factors. There's a lot of premarital childbirth, financial costing, there's abuse, there's lack of orientation to family, there's intolerance and even radical feminism. And then there's the issue of teenage pregnancies, they say the number of teenage mothers aged between 10 and 19 in the last five years has topped 1.9 million. Can you believe a country that has 1.9 single, uh, single mothers between the age of 10 to 19? 
And then they said, we have astonishingly over 106,000 girls aged between 10 and 14 who are single mothers. These are children, these are babies, over 100,000. And then if that is not bad enough, they said the average Kenyan woman has a almost 60% likelihood of being a single mother by the time she's 45. The average Kenyan woman, 60% of them are likely to become single mothers by the time that they are 45. And they cited the Pan-African study that was done by Professor Shelley Clark and Dana Hamplover of McGill University and Charles University respectively. And in this survey, the scholars found that 30% of Kenyan women were having children out of wedlock, nearly twice as many as Tanzania. 30% of Kenyan women are having children out of wedlock. One family therapist, Professor Catherine Gashutha, she said, our generation is not desirous of getting married. They just want to get children and raise them alone. There, lack, there is lack of commitment to stay in marriage which is why the preference for single parenthood is higher. In this situation, people easily walk out of the marriage when they get disgruntled. People easily walk out of marriage when they get disgruntled. And also the study showed a lot of things. The divorce is on the rise. A family lawyer called Judith Ongori said, divorce has been on the rise in Kenya in recent years. Indeed, data from the family division at the high court at the time showed, that was in now 2021, that uh, data from the family division at the high court at the time showed that the court in Nairobi alone had 15 magistrates, 15 magistrates presiding over up to five cases per day. Interestingly, the court was processing divorce in a record three months in 2020. Record three months, your divorce is done. Yani, you have, you're disgruntled, you start January, February, March, pop, divorce is done. An eighth of the normal duration, owing to the high number of petitions, there are so many divorce petitions going to the high court, to the family division of the high court. And therefore they say every day, tens of men and women embark on the daunting journey of raising a family alone. That is what is happening in this country, beloved. That is scientific data. That is not a pastor telling you, if you don't even want to believe the Bible, that's the newspaper. That, it was, that, was, that was a research that was done. That's a report. Divorce is happening like crazy. Marriages are falling apart, beloved. And we know the root cause of it is the hardness of heart. Imagine that is an article um, that, that is happening presently. It shows the situation, sorry, 
but that article, as I was reading it, is showing what is happening. The hardness of heart, beloved. Divorce is rampant. Yesterday, I was telling my wife, I, uh, the past two weeks, we have handled so many cases until it's almost you start feeling like, are there any marriages that are working around you? How many couples do you, do you know who are happily married? That you can say we have this couple that we do life together and they're happily married. A lot of marriage fellowships sometimes are even built on the premise of problems. The reason why they exist is because there's so much problems. The narrative is we are not forming <laughs> marriage. We are not forming marriage fellowships because we want to rejoice at the, at the beauty of marriage. It's because marriage is crazy. And the question is, what is the state of the heart? Why are our hearts so hardened that people will not be persuaded? They will not be convinced or teachable through the scriptures. You will not listen to the word of God. You will still harden your heart. You will not listen. God is calling us today to have a change of heart. And I remember Pastor Dorothy asking me and Pastor Gloria asking me this question. What shall we do with the men? And I'm praying to God to give us wisdom so we can also work in the men's pages. Because those men need to hear the word of God. Oh my goodness. You know, it is us men who behave so bougie and so kept. We don't turn up for Bible studies a lot, you know. Because we haven't allowed the Heavenly Father to father us. We have not come to him in the brokenness of children. In the brokenness of a child, in the simplicity of a child. We sometimes want to beat our chest and not be persuaded about the truth. I commend you ladies, many of you here and also the men who are here for being able to make time to listen to the word this morning. But I want to bring it to your attention, beloved. These are statistics, these are data. You can find that article, I shared it in the groups and I know Cherono and other facilitators were able to share it so that you just read. So you, you don't think that when you're talking about the hardness of heart, we are coming from, we are coming from a place that is, is ridiculous. No. Can I give you a very interesting uh, statistic that was shared by the Pew Research many years ago? And it's still evident anyway. Can I give you a very strange statistic? Yes. Mm. There was a statistic that read that over, 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 they said almost over, is it over 75% of church attendance in the world are women? That's sad. But mm. over 90% of churches in the world are pastored by men. <laughs> right. Wow. Okay. The churches in the world are filled with women, but the many and the churches in the world are pastored by men. Majority of all those churches are pastored by men. There is a problem. And as I've seen Alice Mutuma yeah, writing, that's it's a, strange. It's a big problem. Very strange. Mm -hmm. It's a big problem. And 
I know what uh, Alice Mutumba men are considered sissies when they yield to the Holy Spirit, it is true. And that's why uh, we always say that true masculinity is neither selfishly aggressive nor irresponsibly passive. True masculinity is neither selfishly aggressive nor irresponsibly passive, but it embodies the character of Christ who was seen both as a lion and a lamb. that we can be tender-hearted warriors, able to rise and protect our families, but at the same time be the most gentle with them. I wanna bring something to your attention. We cannot allow the spirit of the Antichrist to rule our hearts. As a woman, you cannot afford at any given time from your mouth to speak evil about men. I wanna bring it to you again. As a woman, you cannot open your mouth and speak evil about the male gender because that is not the spirit of God. Because you're telling, you're telling God he was wrong by his Amen. creation. Amen. You cannot tell God he was wrong by his creation. He knew Amen. what he was doing. You are not God. Mm. You cannot open your mouth and speak against the male gender. And so men, we cannot also open our mouth and speak against the female gender. Despite mm. whatever is happening, despite whatever is happening, we cannot open our mouth and speak evil of the other gender. Why? Because God made them both male and female. God Amen. knew better than us. But God is calling us to go on our knees and pray. Pray for men, pray for women. We cannot have any bias. We cannot have any bias against any gender. We cannot have any bias. We have this calling and we show no partiality. Why? Because even as a woman, we show partiality. Why? Because the daughter that you are raising will need a man to marry her one day. If all these men are not being impacted, what kind of man do you expect that she will marry? And also, you need to understand, women, that even in you, there is a calling to minister to men, because God did never, God never called you to minister to agenda. He called you to minister to the world. He called you to minister to the world. You carry Christ. The whole, listen, you don't carry a feminine. Amen. Holy Amen. You don't carry a feminine Holy Ghost. Hey, amen. What is in you is the Holy Ghost. Amen. What is in the Holy Ghost? When you speak the words of grace, you don't speak feminine words. Those words cut every heart. Amen. They cut every heart. The mm -hmm. word of God pierces through the division of joints and marrow, soul, and spirit, and is a designer of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. It never specified gender. The words you speak, they cut every heart, whether, whether male or female. Amen. So don't look at yourself as incapable of ministering to men. You are capable. Yes. Oh, thank you for you this. Thank you, Pastor Peter. Amen. You are capable. Amen. To minister to men, you are capable. And let no one ever put you down and ever tell you that you cannot. You can because you carry Christ. You carry the life of God in you. That life is not intimidated by gender. Amen. 
I'm saying this to the women because the narrative has always been that it's men who minister, pastors minister to women. They are this prophet. We see women, of course, having no problem receiving ministry from men. But also at the same time, women, you are able to minister. You are able to yeah. minister. Is it your Amen. father? Is it your brother? Is it your cousin? Oh, you are able to minister to them. Depend on the wisdom of God. Don't depend on the wisdom of the world. Give yourself to the scripture. You can share with them the wisdom on how to be a man. You are able to do it. Hallelujah. Amen. You know, the Holy Ghost is able to give you that wisdom. Ah. The Holy Ghost is able to give you that wisdom. Eish. It is not drawn from, from, from the experiences and the narratives of this world or the stereotypes of this world. It is not based on how you feel. It is based on the evidence from the scripture. And the Holy Ghost is able to give you the wisdom that you're able to speak to this man. You're able to build them up. You're able to build them up. You're able to speak to them and you can see confidence built in them. Hallelujah. Oh, glory. Beloved, no one has a, no a gender-based calling in the kingdom of God. Please hear me. No one has a gender-based calling that is focused on a particular gender. There is no such thing. You are called to all souls. Yes, God can give you wisdom to speak to a specific gender in a particular way, but there is no rubber stamp that your calling is only for women. That is a lie. Because what if God sends you and you find a man who is on his deathbed, is about to perish to hell? Will you say, I will not be able to minister to you because you're a man, so die? Amen. No. And we need to break these barriers and these walls. These yes. barriers and these walls that have been built in the church, we need to break them. We need to break these barriers. I personally don't like any man of God who stands on a pulpit and decides to praise one gender while bashing another one. That is not the spirit of God. That is only men projecting their insecurities. I cannot right here in this forum begin to bash men because I know I have, a col I have a big group of women. And so as I bash the men, you men are jokers. Ah, sisters, don't allow any man to tell you this. And now all of a sudden we start screaming, hallelujah, amen. That is not the spirit of God. That is what is bringing that division. That is what is bringing that barrier. That, that is what is bringing that mis misconception. And therefore we see a divided body. We see a body that is divided and people with preferences and they cannot be able to speak with the spirit of God. Women, you are called and men, you are called. And so we need to break away these barriers that have come to our mind. The spirit of the Antichrist is against marriage because marriage is Christ-like. I repeat again, the spirit of the Antichrist is against marriage because marriage is Christ-like. So the enemy is not pleased by households that are esteeming God and that are esteeming Christ. Satan is not pleased with, dis, uh, with functioning households. He is pleased with dysfunctional households. And you can see the statistics. 
Kenya has one of the highest single parent households and majority of the single parents are single mothers. Oh, God forbid that there are men walking around selfish with no regard for their children. That there are women walking around with no regard for their children. But I know Major leads men. Satan is pleased when that is happening. And then the, the narrative that is lying to you is that, oh, women, you are powerful and you are independent. Superwoman. Hey, we celebrate that. But there is a better way. And the better way is for both parents to be present. That's why God made them male and female. And he told them, be ye fruitful and multiply and subdue the earth. God's idea was not single parenting. I tell you, God's idea was not single parenting. God's Amen. idea was not Amen. single parenting. You need to hear this. Amen. And you, you, need to, you need to challenge those mindsets because people are, these are the things that are being propagated. And you can even see scientific research. These people are not born again. And they can see there's a problem. They can see there's a problem. We are not engaged in gender activism. We are in the business of souls in the kingdom of God. We're in the business of Amen. souls in the kingdom of God. Yes. And if God knew very well that he wanted the male and the female to be present, if God knew very well that he wanted male and female, why did God, are we smarter than God? Are we smarter than him? That now we are advocating for single mothers, single mother households. That's what we are, that's the agenda we are pushing. I'm not talking about mothers who are single or who are already there and the need to strengthen and empower them. But when we, begin, we, we become advocates for single parenting households, when we become advocates of that, we are going contrary to what the Lord is trying to emphasize to us. God had an idea. He knew that he wanted the father and the mother there because he knew the father and the mother is the Christ-like model. Christ and the church, Christ and the church. He knew it very well. That is why the Bible says from the beginning, it was not so. God was never for divorce. God was never for divorce. And that is why both men and women alike, we have to hold hands together. If it means that we're going to do a men's conference, that we're going to invite women to bring their husbands, so let the women come and bring their husbands. It is not a secret affair. The issues of men are known to the whole world. Mm, Ladies, yeah. are there any issues of men that are secret to you? No, they are known. we all know. Yeah, They are known. It's not a secret affair. Mm. It's not a secret affair. If that's the way that we can have men come, then let the women bring them. Because when you call men by themselves, sometimes they don't turn up. Yeah, if you tell the women to bring them, they will come. <laughs> because their issues are not, the issues are not any strange. And may God help us to move away from this limited, this mindsets that are limiting so that we can be able to minister Christ the Bible says you are ministers of Christ. You are a life-giving spirit. You give life both to men and women. 
alike to every soul. Stop, start, start seeing yourself that way. Start seeing yourself that way. Start seeing yourself that way. And break out from that mentality. If it means you want to buy books and read about the issues of men so you can minister to them, so be it, get them, learn. Let it be based upon the scriptures and learn because God can use you. God can use you. And that is why today the spirit of God is urging us, let us not harden our hearts because the state of divorce in this country and the world alike is too high. And God is not pleased by the institution that is Christ-like being broken. The institution that is Christ-like being broken. Do you know any agenda that is contrary to marriage? Any agenda that seeks to define marriage beyond male and female is an antichrist institution? It's an antichrist institution because when people move away from their natural state of how God created them, they are telling God, you were wrong for making me a man. You're telling God you were wrong for making me a woman. You were wrong. And I, you're telling God, I am not what you made me. I am not what you made me. So today we are urged not to be hardened in our hearts. Not to be hardened in our hearts. Beloved, see it beyond just your household. See it beyond just your, your household. See it beyond your household. See it as the larger ministry that God is calling you to. That as God is enduing you with wisdom, as God is helping you in your marriage, that, you're, that you, as you illustrate Christ and the church, you will illustrate Christ and the church to other marriages, to other homes, and to other institutions. Move away from the limited vision of only seeing successful marriage as only your household working, but seeing it as your household working and helping other households working. Begin to see yourself as a minister who will also help other households work. Don't be so caught up in the problems of your marriage that you cannot see yourself ministering to other marriages. Please don't be so caught up in the troubles of your marriage that the only thing you're looking for is the solution for your marriage. You cannot see beyond your marriage working and you cannot see beyond your marriage. You cannot see that you, God is also calling you that to, to minister to other marriages. God wants your marriage to work so you can also minister to other marriages. Yes. Start looking at yourself Amen. beyond. Look at yourself Amen. beyond just your marriage. Yes. It's not just about your marriage. See other marriages also that need, that need you. Yes. So yes. you're not just so tied up. Oh God, my marriage, my marriage, my marriage only. Mm. Mm. Move beyond that. See God Amen. fixing your marriage and then see yourselves moving from your marriage to other marriages. Yes. Because mm. they, are also, they also need you. And as you illustrate yes. Christ in the church, you will be an example for other marriages to emulate. See yourself there. Hallelujah. Amen. See yourself there. And so as this week we have learned about the hardness of heart, how I pray that our households will be filled with joy and rejoicing and love and gentleness and peace and hearts that are easily entreatable. 
see yourselves that way. Hallelujah. Amen. Hallelujah. See yourselves that way. See yourselves. Amen. See yourselves that way. See yourself changed. He said in his word, <coughs> his desire for us is to give us a new heart. Amen. Is to give us a new heart. Praise be to Jesus. His desire was that promise of a new heart. The Bible says in Jeremiah 31 verse 33, but this is the covenant which I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them and on their heart will I write it and I will be their God and they shall be my people. God has put his word in your heart. Amen. On the fleshly tablets of the heart, he has put Amen. his word of grace. Amen. On the fleshly tablet of the heart, he has put Amen. his word of grace. Amen. It says in Ezekiel 26, Moreover, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh, and I will give you a heart of flesh. In Ezekiel 11 verse 19, he says, And I will give them one heart and put a new spirit within them, and I will take the heart of stone out of their flesh and give them a heart of flesh. And in Psalm 51 verse 17, the Bible says, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. Oh God, you will not despise. Today I bring to you this message that you have a heart of flesh and not a heart of stone. I bring to you this message that the word of his grace is written on the fleshly tablet of your heart. I bring to you this message that his word is resting in your heart today. The, the, the psalmist said, thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. Your heart is a heart of flesh. Your heart is a heart that is yielded to Christ. And as you allow him to rule you and to reign over your heart, may his grace be made manifest through you and to minister to others. Mm -hmm. Hallelujah. Just open your mouth and begin to speak in tongues. Begin to speak in tongues in light of all that we have learned today. Just open your mouth and begin to thank him right now. Let us begin to thank him right now because we have the heart of flesh. Where we have been hardened, a broken and contrite spirit is in us today. Therefore, we are persuaded. Therefore, we are yielded to him. Therefore, we are obedient to him. We are listening to his voice today. And we are given to him. We are given to him. This very day, we do not harden our hearts. This very day, we are yielded to him. And we are listening to the spirit speaking to us today. Saying, where your heart has been hardened, receive my grace. Receive my love. Receive my goodness. Receive my grace today. Take advantage of it. Take advantage of it. Open your mouth and just begin to pray. Jesus 
Thank you, Father. Hanasiala Katela Riaska. I Rally has many Rias to deal with this. Le Ramasiana Costara Lashpande, Le Ere Ila Ira, Marana, La Hallelujah. La canta rababo yande ribabuzo kuntu rubo chanta rababo. Urubuzo kata rababo kanda rababuza kanta. Rababuza kata rababu yande rababu. La rababuza kanta rababo yande rababuzo kuntu rubo yande. Kuntu kuntu rubo chande. Jika manta rababuzo kuntu yande rababuza kande. Lebo sunta, lebo sunta rababo. Zizimandaribabuzokoturubojande, <laughs> Thank you, Lord Jesus.
I just want to make certain declarations over your marriages today. And I want you to receive them over your marriage in the name of Jesus. Are you ready? Some of them I will tell you to repeat after me, okay? Okay. So just say this with me. Say, I repent over every sin and wickedness in my marriage in the name of Jesus. I repent over every sin and wickedness in my marriage in the name of Jesus. Say, I turn away from everything in my life. That gives Satan a foothold. That gives Satan a foothold. And legality. In my marriage in the name of Jesus. In my marriage in the name of Jesus. I repent of every ungodly confession. I have made over my marriage in the name of Jesus. I have made over my marriage in the name of Jesus. Now I just want to make this declaration and then you will say amen, okay? I declare that your marriage will receive and release the strength, honor, glory, that marriage brings in the name of Jesus. Amen. I decree and declare that your marriage shall reflect the glory of God in the name of Jesus. Amen. I decree and declare that two shall put to flight 10,000, and that is your portion in marriage in the name of Jesus. Amen. I decree and declare that wicked patterns and cycles of marriages in your family line is broken in the name of Jesus. And Amen. by the voice of the blood of the Lamb, you are free in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Every handwriting of wicked codes speaking against your marriage is blotted out in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. I decree and declare that you will have prophetic utterances over your marriage in the name of Jesus. Amen. 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 I raise the banner and the standard of Christ and declare the Lordship of Jesus Christ over your marriage in the name of Jesus. Amen. 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 and declare that your marriage shall bear good fruits in the name of Jesus. Amen. 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 I decree that every spirit of barrenness is broken and it is Amen. the power of Jesus in your marriage in the name of Jesus. Amen. 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 I decree and declare that the scent of your marriage shall be a pleasing aroma in the sight of the Lord and in the body of Christ in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. And declare that springs of life from your fountain will come forth and water every day and every area in marriages in the name of Jesus. Amen. 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 Your marriage is blessed. Beloved, Amen. Amen. Your marriage is blessed in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. May you prosper and may you experience the goodness of God. Amen. I decree that Amen. your marriage, the spirit of the Lord puts in my heart that today marks a new day in your marriage. That if Amen. you will yield your heart Amen. to the spirit, Amen. if you will yield to the leading of the spirit, 
Today marks a new beginning in your marriage. Amen. Amen. Grace of God. If you are willing, if you are obedient, if you are intreatable, it marks a new beginning in your marriage in the name of Jesus. Amen. 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 We bless you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for the things that we have learned. I pray over each and every person that is here today, that even as they listen to you, as they open their hearts to you, may their marriages be a blessing to other marriages. May their marriages be a blessing to other marriages. May they see themselves beyond their marriage. For Lord, you desire to make the marriages work so that they can heal other marriages. So they can heal other marriages. So they can heal other marriages. Yes. Other marriages. Yes. So they can heal other marriages. I see yes. you people carrying a balm of healing. I see it. I, I see it. Mm. Amen. And I Amen. see applying it on other couples who have been wounded. I see couples and they are injured. And I see you applying a balm of healing upon them. I see yes. you applying healing upon them. Yes. Them up, place of defeat. I see yes. you up from a place of shame. Yes. Yes. May it, so. May it be so, Lord, in the name of Jesus. Amen. And we bless you. For anyone who's not born again, just receive the forgiveness and grace of Jesus Christ. Just declare with your mouth that I am born again. I believe in my heart that Jesus Christ is raised from the dead. I believe that he is my savior. And this day I receive forgiveness of sins. I receive justification by faith. And I declare I am you as Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen. We bless you and we honor you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. 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 Amen, amen, amen. amen. Over you to you, Pastor Gloria, Pastor Dorothy, Pastor Cherono. Thank you so much. Amen.